Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here with us at Bering Calvary Chapel. And what a blessing to come and worship together, isn't it? It really is. And I missed every one of you. And uh, let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for the fact that you not only hear and answer prayer, but you're able to translate all of your love, all of your strength, all of your Holy Spirit to each one of us who cry out and pray asking to be filled, to be born again, and to know you as Lord God and Savior of our life. And I pray, Father, as we look into your word and we discuss the topic that you've put on my heart to share, that it would minister to each one who's here, and that we might be encouraged in all your ways. And so we give you thanks for all things, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm actually going to have to take my coat off because I'm one of those poor, unfortunate guys that was born without a neck. And so when I have my coat on, it's pushing up into the mic. Okay, that's all right, too. You know, I'm going to share a few things with you this morning because, as you understand, uh, the primary, um, I I guess you would say, principle of our church is that we go right through the Bible, chapter by chapter, line by line, covering every single verse in order to make sure we have the whole counsel of God. But the Lord has uh, put something on my heart to share this morning that I really feel that I need to do, even though it is not our normal expository preaching going right through Scripture. And we have to understand that there are two primary responsibilities of the church. And the first responsibility of the church, many people don't realize what it is, is to worship the Lord. That's their first responsibility. It's not to do this or not to do that, but it's to worship the Lord. And our second uh, responsibility, in order, is evangelism in order to take our faith and to share it with the lost world. And I think we're living in a time where the world needs Jesus Christ more than any other time in history. And I want to share a few things with you that um, might seem disjointed, but I think if you bear with me as we go through it, you're going to see it come together, and you'll understand the point I'm trying to make. And um, in James chapter 2... In verse 20, it says, but do, you, do, but do you want to know, O foolish man, he's talking about men, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. And so we have to understand that our faith has to be demonstrated by what we do. Faith isn't just some, you know, innate thing that we just kind of, you know, emits from us. We have to be able to demonstrate our faith as well in our willingness to stand up for Jesus Christ, to share with others, and to do what the Bible commands us to do. And um, so one of the things that we have to put in, we have to realize is this, is that what I am sharing, I want you to understand that if you have a different opinion or come to a different decision than I'm sharing, that's okay. I'm not putting you down for it. I don't think you're less of a Christian. You understand what I'm saying? There are some people that feel as you, that it's okay to come and have public worship. There are others that want to keep their distance. That's fine. Some want to wear masks, some don't. That's fine. We have to understand that it's freedom in Christ that we have, and as the Lord is putting something on your heart, you respond to it. It's okay. But anyway, as I said, it might seem a little bit disjointed, 
But what I'm sharing with you is going to come together and I think make a valuable point for we as Christians in the time in which we're living. As we all understand, these are unusual times. It's like the whole world seems weird, right? We all understand that. And I think it's just one more sign that we're in the time of the end. But anyway, I'm starting off by sharing this. More than 55 years ago, a number of my graduating class enlisted in the military. 21 men from our little city of Elmira, New York, never came back from Vietnam. And a number of them died of Agent Orange, including a good friend and a first cousin of mine, as a result of being in Vietnam. But their commitment caused them to make the ultimate sacrifice for their nation. And it's for this reason that I always salute all men and women who have served in the armed forces of the United States. I'm not putting anyone down who hasn't, but the reality is if you haven't served in the armed forces, if you haven't worn the uniform, there are certain things that are hard to understand about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ and in this nation. Now, I share for this reason that when we enlisted in the military, in fact, when we stood before the uh, enlisting officer, this is what we swore, and I'm going to read it to you, okay? I, Frank L. Thomas, do solemnly, sw solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States, who, by the way, said churches were essential last week, okay, and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations and uniform code of military justice, so help me God. And any of you who were in the military, that's what you swore when you joined. Now, let's look at the First Amendment, because... All of us, as American citizens, we stand on our Constitution, and we stand on the amendments to the Constitution as being our rights. Now, Amendment 1 of the Constitution of the United States says this, Congress shall, not, shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, I think we're pretty peaceable here, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, we have to understand that when we lo lose our right to choose in alliance with our Constitution, but most importantly, the Scripture, we lose our rights, we lose our freedom. And I believe that it is a very alarming precedent that has been sent that has been set that allows men that allows whatever their position might be to make decisions of what's right and what's wrong for each one of us to make decisions what we can do and what we can't do according to the law i think it's a very 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 alarming precedent to have been set to be, have been set i'm sorry I'm going to uh, quote to you from Dennis Prager of the Prager Institute. Some of you might have uh, listened to him or heard some of his uh, uh, material being presented or read some of his books. 
But here's what he said. Now, you have to understand that Prager is a practicing religious Jew. He's not a Christian, okay? Understand that. Here's what he wrote. Without the evangelical community, we will, no, we will not long have liberty. Without the evangelical community, we'll, we will not long have liberty. From before the birth of America, liberty has been the cornerstone belief because it was the cornerstone of Christian value. That's what he wrote. Consider that on the Liberty Bell that's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, did you know there's a scripture written in the Liberty Bell? It's taken from Leviticus 10, or 25.10. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. Liberty for what? To obey the word of God in accordance, you know, to our hearts and according to our belief. Now, choice, of course, is a cornerstone of Christianity. Because without choice, you don't have faith. Without choice, you don't have love. You understand what I'm saying? If you don't have a, a choice to choose this or a choice to choose that, then where is any commitment at all? And so we have the choice to choose Jesus Christ, to come into our life, to fill us with his Holy Spirit, and to cause us to become citizens of the kingdom of God. That's where our citizenship lies, according to Scripture. And thankfully, we live, at least for now, in a nation that honors our Christian values and our freedom and our ability to worship God as he has shown us in his word. Now, you know, I feel that one of the things that people are always so fearful of, and uh, you might think, well, aren't all people? Well, yeah, to a certain extent, but it's death. See, here's the thing. I don't fear death. I fear possibly some of the procedures or some of the things I might go through in dying, but I don't fear death because I belong to Jesus. And we have to realize that everyone walking around in this entire world who do not know Jesus Christ, they're dead. They're dead in their sin and transgression according to the word of God. We only die once according to scripture. We die and we're made to new life in Jesus Christ, never to die again. That's the hope and that's the promise that we have. Because we have to understand that the Lord is able to forgive the sin of anyone. My granddaughter Taylor, I don't know if she's here, I'm really trying to embarrass her, but my granddaughter uh, Taylor she shared this quote with me, and I love it. This, I don't know if this was original with her. Do you know, Frank? Or just something? Well, no, you're supposed to know. Okay. Here's what my granddaughter Taylor shared with me. I love it. My freedom does not end where your fear begins. Think about that. My freedom doesn't end where your fear begins. Because we have certain freedoms. We have certain inalienable rights that have been given to us as citizens of the United States. But most importantly, by God Almighty himself. And fear can never prevent us from exercising that freedom. My freedom doesn't end where someone else's fear begins. I'm going to share some alarming statistics with you and facts. But before I share these, I want you to understand that God is loving, kind, and merciful. And there's no sin that any person can commit 
that God is not able to forgive. Because so many of us, before we came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, there were so many sins that we were involved with, right? Things that we would never want to share with anyone else. But nevertheless, God has given us the promise that all of our sin can be forgiven and taken from us as far as the east is from the west. Now, according to the Bible, murder is the shedding of innocent blood. And uh, who can be more innocent than an unborn child? David was not held accountable for all the deaths that he committed in battle, in war, all those men that he killed in battle. He wasn't held accountable for those, but he was held accountable for innocent blood. Because remember, David fell to adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, which he is called in Scripture, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. And because of that, he was held responsible. In other words, we're responsible for the shedding of innocent blood. And like I said, what could be more innocent than the blood of a child? Write this portion of Scripture down. Do a study of it when you get home. It's taken from Exodus chapter 21, Exodus chapter 21 and verses 22 through 25. Write that down. Study it when you get home. Because here's what it's about. That portion of Scripture is talking about when a couple men are fighting. You know, men especially in those days fight a lot. And they accidentally injure a pregnant woman. And that portion tells us if the woman goes into premature labor and the baby is born fine, then the man who caused her to go into labor is going to be punished. But if the baby dies, Scripture tells us that man is put to death. So even in Scripture, we are told that the life of the child in the womb is a living being and has all the rights of Scripture, and has all the rights we'll find of our Constitution as well. But today we're living in a time that so many children are sacrificed at the altar of convenience. And defense, in defense of many women who have fallen to the lies and distortions of this world that have gone through abortion, they were lied to and they were told that they didn't have a child, a living being in them. It was just a zygote that was going to be removed from the uterus. But the reality is it was a living being from the time of conception. Bible teaches us that. Biology teaches us that. Now, here's what the preamble to the Constitution tells us. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, all life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The preamble to the Constitution. That was the preamble to the Declaration of Independence. I'm sorry. This is the preamble to the Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, our children. Do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. 
And so now we understand that life is sacred to God. Life, God sanctifies life. Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, signed into law a bill that legalized late-term abortions. And it was to coincide with the, fourth, uh, the 46th anniversary of the Roe Ro vs. Wade decision of the Supreme Court legalizing abortion. And what Cuomo signed was called the Reproductive Health Act, S-240. And in that, he even allows non-medical, non-doctors to perform abortions. Unbelievable. Prior to signing the bill, Cuomo told supporters, listen to this, prior to signing the bill for late-term ab term abortion, abortion uh, uh, Cuomo told supporters, today is sweet. That my friends, is perverted and sick. Today is sweet, because in a few minutes, I will sign this bill, and another New York national president will be established. The most aggressive women's equality, what? The most aggressive women's equality platform in the nation is going to be law in this state, and that is the way it should be. Well, we have to understand that that is not the way it should be. The real solution to unwanted pregnancy is simple. It's called chastity. But of course, we're not allowed to teach that. That's too bigoted. Isn't that amazing? Now, in 2016, the CDC reported 623,471 abortions from 48 of the 52 states in the United States. The, the abortion ratio was 186 abortions per 1,000 live births. That's 18.6% death rate. A lot higher than any COVID virus or any other disease that we have. CDC reporting uh, was reduced from 52 states in 1997 to 47 states in 1998. California, Maryland, New Hampshire, and the District of Columbia no longer report abortions to the CDC. Now, the U.S. Center for Disease Control, CDC, publishes yearly, but relies on voluntary reporting from abortion agencies. In other words, they don't seek after it. They rely on voluntary uh, disclosure. The Guttemacher Institute um, contacts abortion clinics directly for data because it surveys clinics directly. It includes all 50 states and it is by most considered a more um, accurate example or more accurate number of abortions that are committed in the United States each year. I'm not going to, I have page after page of their report. I'm not going to read all of it. In 1973, the first year abortion was made illegal, According to uh, uh, Guttenmacher, um, 744,610 abortions were performed in the United States. And according to CDC, 615,831. Now moving down to 1983, according to Guttenmacher, 1 million... Five hundred and seventy-five thousand abortions were performed in the United States of America 
And according to the CDC, 1,268,897 abortions were performed in the United States of America. In 2018, the number has dropped, <laughs> has dropped to 862,230, but it's been on the increase for the last three years, going up again. Total abortions since 1973, according to Christian Life Resource, listen, is 60 million, 754,254. And this number only goes up to 2015. According to present statistics, we have 100,000 deaths due to COVID-19 and over 800,000 deaths due to abortion. Abortion was the leading cause of death worldwide in 2019, killing 42 million people. And yet, abortion clinics are classified as essential. How have we gotten disheartened? How have we gotten this weak as a church? I don't understand. No flags at half mass, are there? You think about all the requirements they're putting on us for COVID-19. Why don't they make it law? Because it's not legal, and neither are all the things that they're laying on us because of COVID-19. Why don't they make it law? That unless you desire to have a child, you have to be on birth control. Why don't they require that? There are a whole lot more people that are killed through abortion than through COVID-19, right? It, it just is mind-blowing, you know, blowing to me. Planned Parenthood receives 616.8 million in tax dollars. They receive that much this year in tax dollars. And yet, New Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center is under, under a lawsuit because they're standing on their Christian morals and rights in the sense that they will not adopt their children out to same-sex couples. What hypocrisy. The thing that's amazing is the Constitution stands on our side. And yet we seem to not realize that. We just ignore it. Another sad statistic is, according to Bloomberg report, traffic deaths in the United States, States exceeded 400,000 for the third straight year. 40,000, I'm sorry, exceeded 40,000 for the third straight year. Over 50% of these accidents, accidents are caused by alcohol-impaired drivers. Over 50% of all fatal highway crashes involving two or more cars are alcohol-related. Over 65% of all fatal single-car accidents are alcohol-related. Over 38% of all adult pedestrian accidents are, ac are alcohol-related. And liquor stores are essential. They're still open. Well, if there seems to be a great hypocrisy here, it's because there is. It's absolutely amazing. The same people who demand their rights 
are, are, they're actually trying to remove the rights of we as Christians. They're denying us our rights. When abortion and alcohol are considered essential and church is not considered essential, we have a serious moral problem in this nation and a great sign of the weakness of the church. It's not up to government. It's up to us. We the people. We as Christians. We have the responsibility to stand up for what God has proclaimed in his word. And life is sanctified by God. Drunkenness is considered a sin. And yet we make different decisions on those kinds of things. Some people say, well, you're just getting political. No, I'm not. Politics got into Christianity, not vice versa. It is a moral issue. These are moral issues. These aren't political. So we have to realize we have to open our eyes. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, 24 through 25, and if you're wondering why uh, I and... Frank and I have prayed and, and decided we were going to start public worship again. It's based on uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and it says this. And let us consider one another, listen, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking. And the Greek word that is used there for, for forsaking, not forsaking, is the same word that is used for desertion, like in the military sense. We're not to desert. We're not to run away. Forsaking the assembly, and of course the assembly here in the Greek refer, refers to the whole community, the full number. And so not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The day is approaching. Jesus Christ could come back for his church any moment. Look at what's going on. Look at the signs of the times. You know what I'm ashamed of? That I ever stopped having public worship. That's what I'm ashamed of. I really am. It was weakness on my part. But understand this. Because Christianity gives us freedom, if there is anyone who feels they want to distance themselves from public gatherings for a while, if there are any of those who feel that the wearing of a, of a mask is going to give them protection, that's fine. That's freedom. Do you understand what I'm saying? The freedom that we have is choice to choose to, to choose not to. It doesn't mean that someone's better Christian than another person. I want to make that clear because there might be some that are out there listening to this message thinking I'm you know, pointing fingers at them, but I'm not. I'm just saying we need to have the choice. That's what Christianity is all about. And according to what I see here, I don't want to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. And Frank and I, as the pastors of the church, we have the responsibility to call the gathering. And that's what we've done. Consider how many believers have been executed through the centuries. And, uh, you know, even now, because of many of the regulations that we have in some of these communistic and, and Arab countries. There are many people that are being put to death for their faith right now. If you have never read it, what you want to read is Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's an old, old book. You only want to read it once because that's all you can bear. 
and it talks about the numbers of people, the millions and millions of people that were put to death in the most inhumane way because they refused to bow to the state in their Christian convictions. Wow. It's absolutely amazing. Now, think about this. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity has estimated, listen, that 90,000 Christians were killed for their faith from mid-2016 to mid-2017. And they were killed because they were acting on their faith that the government said that they were not allowed to do. Yet we have no task force trying to look into why 90,000 Christians are put to death yearly because of their faith. There's no task force looking into that. We have to understand that the separation of church and, uh, church and state is paraphrased from Thomas Jefferson, and it has been used to express an understanding of the First Amendment, which we discussed just a moment ago. It is generally traced to January 1st, 1802. It's a letter by Thomas Jefferson addressed to the Danbury Baptist Association in Connecticut and published in a Massachusetts newspaper. And, of course, uh, what Jefferson wrote is uh, the whole separation of church and state and why that it has to be maintained. But we have to understand, Jefferson was not writing it to protect the state from the church, but the church from the state. That was the whole point of what he was writing. The state isn't going to come in and tell the church what they have to do. It wasn't vice versa, but you hear so many secularists out there saying, well, you know, separation of church and state. As if the church somehow is imposing upon, you know, they have their freedoms. You know, one of the things about being a Christian is we believe in freedom. And freedom is of choice. I don't believe that we should go around executing all non-Christians. I don't believe that we should go, go around just blaspheming and, and, you know, putting down all non-Christians. But we have a choice to choose Christ ourselves and to follow his declarations as found in Scripture. Because we have to understand, all those out there who are not Christians are people that need to become Christians, are people that need to be saved. And we have the responsibility as believers to share our faith with this lost world around us. How are we going to share it? A lot of people don't care what we have to say, but they watch our lives and they know how we live. And so we have a responsibility as believers to stand on the word of God, to live a life of holiness and righteousness in this present age. You know, any time and for any reason that the government restricts free worship, at that point we are losing our religious freedom in this nation. People have their free will, they have their free right to attend or not to attend. But the choice has to be given. The choice has to be there. You know, Frank and I had been, Pastor Frank Jr. and I had been praying about this first public worship and talking back and forth about it. And we're thinking, you know, you know, we have some neighbors that might really get upset when they see cars pulling into the parking lot and this and that. You want to know something? I don't care. Oh, <laughs> I don't want... I don't care because I trust God. 
Do you understand? If they came in and handcuffed me and pulled me out, I don't care because I trust God. And the fact is, I'm in the right. The law is on my side. You see, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, my granddaughter, Taylor, she can work at Wegmans. Think about this. She can work at Wegmans every day, being around thousands of people every day. But she can't come and hear her pop-pop and her daddy preach, especially her pop-pop. But, <laughs> but you understand that? I mean, she can't come and hear us preach, but she can go to work every day. What? Well, from many of us, we realize that it's important for food stores to be open so we can eat. But my point is, look at where priorities are put. Okay, we've got to have food so we'll make stores essential. And people can come in, but, you know, we're going to put these fake marks on the ground that you've got to stand behind them, and we're going to require everyone to wear masks. Now, understand this. I, I just want to share this with you. When I go into a grocery store or any store, I wear a mask. Not because I'm fearful, but because I don't want to make anyone else fearful. I want to be respectful to other people. So I wear a mask. But the fact is, when I walk into a, a grocery store and they have all these crazy... When we're on vacation, I'm walking down this aisle. Vi and I are walking down this aisle in this strange store we've never been in, you know, getting some groceries. We're walking down. And this woman, and she was from the north. You could tell her voice. They weren't like southerners, you know. And she's, she's walking by and she goes, it's one way. And I'm like, what? And I'm looking in the ground. I said, there's no arrows here. She said, look up there. And up there, there was an arrow. And I was going the wrong way. So anyway, I was standing in line, <laughs> getting ready to leave. And uh, she happened to be right in front of me. Now, understand this. In North Carolina, probably not more than 10% of the people wear masks. Most of them don't. And I didn't have one on. She said to me, you know you don't have a mask on. I said, I know. She goes, don't you care about other people? And I said, well, a virus is submicroscopic. And the porousness of the mask you're wearing is like trying to keep mosquitoes out with chain link fence. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? That, now I'm, now I'm not making, I mean, I understand viruses are transmitted by droplet infection. If you have a mask on and you sneeze and so forth, you are, there is some protection, but it's not full protection. And the fact is, you take your, ma your, take your mask off. For me, I have the same mask I've had since this whole thing started. You know, you set it down here, and you pick it up, and touch it, and, you know, your mask is laid on something dirty, and you pick it up, and you touch your mask, and you rub your eyes. Because I don't see anybody walking around with goggles in their eyes. Your tear duct can also receive any kind of virus, any mucous membrane. Now, it's, it's really amazing, because when we're in Wegmans, I don't mean to get off on this, but we're in Wegmans, and I th was thinking to myself, what in the world are we coming to? And you know, what, what's going on? Because I was back in the produce section of Wegmans picking up some stuff uh, for Vi and I. Because after vacation, you always go on a great diet and you start eating all kinds of vegetables and stuff like that because you gain 15 pounds on vacation. But anyway, I'm in the produce section getting all these carrots and celeries and all these wonderful things. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, but it's sad at the same time. Anyway, these two women who obviously knew each other, they came up to one another, and the one woman said to the other one, I love your mask. 
And the other one says, yours is awesome as well. And I'm thinking to myself, what? I mean, usually women come up to one another and say, hey, I love your hairstyle. That's a beautiful pocketbook. But I love your mask? It's amazing. In fact, it was funny. We're walking into Walmart. Vi doesn't think I'm funny. She thinks sometimes I'm an absolute idiot. We're walking into Walmart, and I took my mask, and I pulled it up over my eyes. And I'm walking in like this. (laughs) But anyway, the point I'm making is that we as Christians need to stand for our faith. And I'm not trying to make anyone uncomfortable or that we should ever attempt to make anyone uncomfortable. We shouldn't. We need to respect other people. And if other people want to keep social distancing, other people want to wear masks, that's okay. That's their right. That's their privilege. But in the same hand, it's not going to restrict my right as a believer to gather together and to share my faith with those who need to hear the truth. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, the thing is, I'm choosing to obey God rather than men when it comes to having public worship. As the verse that I read earlier says, we're not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together as some have grown in the custom of doing, but all the more as we see that day approaching, the day is approaching. We need to gather. We need to be instructed. And what I shared with you about abortion, what I shared with you about auto accidents, it shows the hypocrisy of our own minds sometimes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you have how many more people are put to death in the womb And nothing's done about it. Nothing's even thought about. Many Christians just put it out of their mind. But it's real. And we need to take a stand as believers. We need to support, like New Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center, we need to be willing to be outspoken, you know, about what we believe. When we hear, when I'm around someone who's saying, well, I think abortion is a woman's choice, I'll say to them, what about the child? Well, it's not really a child. Oh, yes, it is. You ignorant fool. No, I don't say that. (laughs) But I say, yes, it is a child. What about that child's choice? Do you understand what I'm saying? In Philippians chapter 1 and verses 20 through 21, and this is King James Version, "According according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness, as always, so now, as Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I'll share with you one other thing, that if you get a chance and you have computers and you go on YouTube and this and that, you want to see when Dr. Fauci testified before the Senate. And Senator Rand Paul was questioning him. Now, many of you might not know this, but before Senator Rand Paul became a senator, he was a medical doctor. And it's very enlightening what he shares. And uh, he actually said to Dr. Fauci, he said, with all due respect, Dr. Fauci, you're not the end all. 
when it comes to these matters. Wow. You want, you want to see that? We have to realize that this is maybe one of the first times in many of our lives that we've had the opportunity to take a stand for our faith. I mean a real stand. And I'm not saying that you go out and you start protesting. You know, the Constitution gives us the right for peaceful assembly, not violent or radical assembly. I just read it. So we're not to go out and do all that kind of stuff, but stand on the Word of God. Stand on the truth. Be willing to say what's right and what's wrong according to the Word of God. And to not fear assembling of ourselves together. And I pray that God blesses each one of you with a full understanding of the Holy Spirit that dwells within your heart, your cardiac, your inner man. You're born again of the Spirit. And if you're not, today's the day of your salvation. Do you know how easy it is to be born again? It's as simple as saying, Jesus, forgive me, a sinner, and take over my life. And Jesus will hear, and he will come in, and he will take over your life. It's that simple. Brothers and sisters, we need to share that with the world. Look at where, look how this has testified, this whole epidemic, this pandemic. Look how it's testified to the weakness of our faith. We wear a mask, we do social distancing, we stand be behind lines at the grocery store, and we don't even pay any, any attention to all the babies that are killed on a daily basis. We don't pay any attention to those who are going into liquor stores and buying the very alcohol that's going to either kill them or other people. We pay no attention to it. Well, maybe it's time for the Christian world to wake up. Maybe this is the very thing that's going to shake us from our sleep. Wake up from your slumber, oh man, Scripture tells us. Brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. I'm not trying to make anyone come in line with my way of thinking. I'm just trying to encourage you to study the Word of God, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, and follow Him. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for the way you're able to minister to us and to encourage us. And I pray, Lord, that you would not allow fear be the one, be the thing that would stop us from exercising our faith and assembling together and would never stop, never, never stop us from sharing our faith with the lost world. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends, and thank you for being here. Love you.